Hi, and welcome to the Cleans and Queens podcast, episode six. In this episode, I chat with Emma Archer, who currently works as a strength and conditioning coach at Culford School and provides strength and conditioning services to gymnastics clubs under the title Strength in Gymnastics. Emma has had a pretty different path to becoming a strength and conditioning coach to the majority of us. She has spent 14 years as a veterinary nurse and then a veterinary technician specialist in anesthesia before starting a family and moving towards a career in the fitness industry as a PT and then eventually into strength and conditioning. I'm really happy to have got the chance to talk to Emma as I've yet to interview anyone that has had to balance being a mum and being a strength and conditioning coach. It's something that I've heard quite often as a potential reason for the lack of women in the profession. So to hear from someone who has actually moved into SNC with a young family already, I think will be really interesting. And it also goes to show that it's possible to continue a career in strength and conditioning and be a mum. As always, contact details and any resources mentioned will be in the bio. We're always looking for feedback, so either leave a comment under the podcast or drop either myself or Emma a message on any of the social media accounts listed in the bio. Hi Emma, welcome to the Cleans and Queens podcast. Thanks for coming on, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. No worries. So for anyone that hasn't heard of you, do you want to give us a bit of a background on yourself, so sports you've been involved in and how you got into SNC? Yeah, of course. So, um, as a child, I, from probably seven or eight, I played quite a lot of netball. Um, I loved it. I played pretty much every day. Um, I grew up around a netball coach. It was kind of our life in our village, in our school, in our high school, in our county. Um, I'm not the right height for a professional netball player, <laughs> and I never made it past. Join the club. <laughs> um, never made it past county level, um, but I loved it. Um, it was kind of our life as to the age of 18 really um and that kind of I guess taught me quite a lot about sport and teamwork and self-improvement um practice but I would say that at that time I mean we're talking mid to late 90s there wasn't SNC didn't really exist we just played <laughs> court training um I've been involved with similar level netball players and obviously there's an SNC involvement now but certainly then there was none um and I have to admit from at the age of about 18, I stopped pretty much all sports, totally. Um, like I think a lot of people do, you go travelling. Yeah, um, yeah. You learn about alcohol, <laughs> men, whatever. And um, different life priorities take over. Um, yeah, and I got a career which actually wasn't sports-related. Um, and that took up all my time. And I didn't play sport again until probably 10 years later, in my mid to late 20s, when I took up of endurance running um and a bit of lifting as well so um i would say throughout that time though i did always have a fascination for athletes and sports so i used to read a lot of what i still do read sports biographies um i was always fascinated about people's more about the mental aspects much how they trained um that sort of perseverance and grit particularly with endurance um sports so that's kind of been a hobby of mine always i suppose is the how and why people become athletes and how they get to those points mentally and physically. Um, I find that really fascinating. Um, so yeah, I had a career uh, as a veterinary nurse and a veterinary technician specialist in anaesthesia um, for probably 14, 15 years, um, which I loved actually. I really enjoyed it. It's science, it's geeky, it appeals to mine. I love physiology, um, but I think ultimately, I think you reach a level 
before I did. You know, I was um, I was still learning a lot. I had some brilliant mentors. Um, and I was one of only three veterinary technician specialists in the country at the time. Um, I kind of reached a point where um, I kind of wanted a new challenge. I'd learned a lot. I was doing some lecturing. Um, and then I had a family. And I kind of thought, well, this is one, the career doesn't really fit with family life. And two, I don't know if I still love it enough to make it fit. Yeah, um, yeah. This has showed me you can make it fit, but I think it can be really difficult with that career. But I also think I made it reach a point where I wanted a new challenge. So um, I kind of looked at my options. Um, and initially, that was actually personal training, um, mainly initially because I, at that point, I was quite heavily into uh, endurance running, gym. I liked weights. I liked hard, fast sort of training and a bit of, I say, sort of high intensity, a bit, not CrossFit, but that kind of faster yeah, nature. Yeah. Um, and I liked the results I was getting. So I became a personal trainer and that allowed me some freedom being self-employed, but could work around family. Um, and I actually built up a client base really quickly and really easily, almost too big, where I was almost working too much. Um, and I kind of thought, do I want to be working every evening? Now I'm at home during the day, but then I'm out every evening. But, um, you know, it taught me a lot. Personal training qualification doesn't teach anything. I think everybody, I don't think there's any argument that you learn anything on that. But mm-hmm. I would say the people I met along the way and the trial and error of experimenting, reading, putting yourself in situations, I did actually learn quite a lot in those probably first few years. Um, most people you train as a personal trainer want aesthetic results um and they probably some of them not everybody want aesthetic results one or two hours a week with you and then eating and drinking whatever they want the rest of the time yeah so it's yeah. not always realistic but to be fair not everyone but i think within a few years i realized that i find the aesthetic nature of personal training quite draining i think emotionally physically it's just not something that appeals to me I think just just the aesthetics I think for me there has to be more and I get that bodybuilding you know competitive physique is a highly skilled sport but for the general person I think putting the emphasis on aesthetics isn't the way I would want my children to be a world that all my children live in it isn't the way I want to live in Mm -hmm. I prefer more training for a purpose whether that's mental or physical whether that's movement quality whether that's for sport um and I was really lucky because I had quite connections with endurance runners and sort of triathlete clubs and things. So I took on privately again, self-employed. I became basically still personal training, but I had a bit more of an S&C emphasis in the sense I put more emphasis on sporting aspects. So I trained runners to become stronger for their sport rather than if they wanted a six pack. Um, I did some nutrition qualifications, kettlebell spin, British weightlifting, um, all these things to try and help me understands but ultimately I think as a personal trainer you still are quite limited so I guess my kind of scientific nature um just decided literally in about a week a friend had applied for an MSc in SNC and thought well, he's doing it why don't I <laughs> so literally I think in that week I thought I've got nothing to lose I'll apply this was like July August time for September start um <laughs> I didn't really think it through I just thought it was a distance learning but Mary's took in a really nice structure that suited me um and I thought I've got nothing to lose by applying um 
and didn't really think it through other than that talked to my husband about it and thought well I'll apply and see what happens and I genuinely thought at that point I would get rejected based on not having a BSc and certainly not um sports science background um but luckily and I'm very grateful to them actually um particularly Stan but all of them um they're really open-minded about non-degree entrance and you had to sort of jump through various hoops by being a non-degree entrance but they made it perfectly clear that it would be incredibly difficult and that lots of people would fail at it but there was no reason why you couldn't if you tried yeah and I'm actually forever grateful for that I think you're very honest at the start how hard it was going to be um and yeah I think John I'll never forget when John Goodwin sat down and said um that you know most non-degree entrants fail the first year and I kind of just thought I'm not gonna be one of them yeah and it worked then it's because I right right from the start I thought I'm not going to be that cliche um so yeah, and I think that was the defining moment, if you like, of that sort of moment when I realised sat in that room that, or at the on-site, that I wanted to be an s coach, and not only that, I wanted to do the MSc, and I kind of realised it doesn't matter that I'm older, it doesn't matter that I'm in a room with mainly young guys that have just finished an undergrad, um, I'll still do it. So yeah, I think that was a real turning point for me, and that certainly doing the way St Mary's do their MSCs, it's distance learning, but because they want it to be quite applied and practical, you, one of the criteria of the course is that you are coaching and you are coaching athletes of some level um, and you can't really do the course if you're not to be honest because of the amount of you know you have to do vlogs and yeah these things and actually that made me look at who I was coaching and I had a lovely group of young and classmates but that was it um, and I kind of thought if I'm going to learn and get the most out of this course I don't just want to pass it I want to use it so Started putting my positions, um, you know, contacting schools, um, contacting with loads of CrossFit gym that did weightlifting classes, and said, "Can I come and help coach some of them?" Um, you know, not not just what you'd necessarily say S and C, but loads of different aspects of S and C. I needed to improve on agility, so you know, just putting myself in positions where I could learn from people, um, and just kind of being braver at saying, "Look, I'm doing almost using the MSc. I'm doing this MSc." I'd like to get more experience in this. Um, to help me find the, the direction I wanted to go in as much as anything. Um, and obviously it helped me through the course as well. So I, I think that's how I got into it, really. And I think if there's anything else I missed out along the way, that's quite long-winded, isn't it? Um, no, no, not at all. So yeah, it's, think... it's good to know someone's motivation as to why they've come into s especially since though you've had such a successful career for 14 years in a completely different profession. I think that's really interesting. So recently, what are you doing? So up until now, do you want to give us a bit of an um, overview of where you're working now? Yeah, so at the moment, I three days a week, I work as an S&C coach at a school. Um, and I'm incredibly lucky in that school. Um, school and Tennis Academy, and there's actually four of us S&C coaches. And that was um, one of the main drivers for me ending up at that school, because there was an excellent head of S&C and very supportive team. And I'd reached the point when I graduated from my master's where I realised I still had lots I wanted to learn. I think working alone is fine because you can choose your hours, it suits the family life, etc., etc. But ultimately, you have nobody to learn from and you can read all you want, you can put yourself in positions all you want. And actually, you can learn by your own mistakes, but you still sometimes don't know how to learn from them. Yeah. Um, and I kind of got to the point where I thought if I want to progress, I feel like I need a bit of a team 
I was going to say behind me, I guess behind me, but around me, with me, to learn from um, and to see how everybody else does. So I'm really lucky, I think, there's four of us, Some, uh, two, two of us part-time. Oh, there's five of us, actually. Um, <laughs> Try not to forget someone. I'm part-time as well. I, should, I guess it probably adds up to three or four, probably adds up to three full-time people. Yeah. Um, but we're part-time, so, we, so I don't always see, we don't see everybody, obviously. Um, but yeah, we all have, we're really lucky because we all have different strengths. Um, I guess and we'll bring something totally different. Um, you know, there's some very specific that come from a very tennis background, physiology background, um, you know, Pilates. Um, we have a lovely lady who does our Pilates. Um, and yeah, we're all given the opportunity to learn from each other and CPD and things, which I think massively helps. Um, so yeah, three days a week I do that. Um, and then I also have a, I'm also have a self-employed kind of private um the term company is a bit strong but kind of umbrella for gymnastics where i do snc for gymnastics um and that's gymnastics clubs so there's one that i do most regularly um two evenings a week i do a couple of sessions back to back for them um program for them screen and assess them um and again i work quite closely with the coaches there to ensure i guess load management periodization as much as you can in gymnastics um and again, I feel really lucky to be given that opportunity because I think it's quite rare in gymnastics um, and the coaches are really good there and are very open. We have a really good relationship there. Um, it's actually an all-female team. Not, I don't think that's particularly relevant, but it's a, fe- it's a women, female gymnastics club so we yeah. make these girls in anyway, and it's an all-female team. And I, I, Honestly, I don't think they would have employed a male SNC coach at that time. Um, I think not because I think... But I think it just, I just happened to fit in yeah. with their values and the team. Um, and yeah, we have really good communication and it's a juggling act, as it is with lots of sports. Um, but I'm lucky that I get given those access and it's a, te- it's a real team effort. Um, and I'm a tiny part of that, but it's nice. Um, and it's uh, as a, I do a bit more kind of weekends and more casual work for other clubs. Um, and it's quite nice to that I do a bit of consultancy and a bit of kind of workshops for I'm not I'm not trying to that makes me sound like I think I'm better than I am consultancy sounds really not at all helping gymnastics coaches with their SNC so I'm not pretending to be a perfect SNC coach that knows everything but um to some sort of gymnastics coaches that don't have much SNC knowledge necessarily or maybe come from an incredibly knowledgeable gymnastics background um it's kind of how can we there's quite a few contradictions between SNC and gymnastics, sometimes particularly the older school landing, um, kind of aesthetics of landing positions, and very yeah. stiff-legged, very tucked. Um, yeah, it's different. Kind of that maybe go against what we would say are optimal landing mechanics for injury prevention, for, for force management, load management, etc., etc. So it can be quite a balancing act to kind of compromise between the two. And there's absolutely no reason in my eyes that can't happen. It's just... It's an aesthetic sport, and there are points deducted and awarded for specific things. So there does have to be a compromise because performance is what they're after. However, I think that can be done without sacrificing the gymnast's health. It's just a way of managing it. Um, and I think as more and more evidence comes out, SNC coaches can be really well placed to kind of help guide how they do that. So you know, we've done whole sessions on landing mechanics and optimizing that and. Um, I think the feedback I've had from 
coaches has been, been that it's been useful. So um, hopefully it is. So that's kind of kind of secondary thing that I run alongside. And again, I fell into that because my daughter's a gymnast. Um, and I, yeah, I was lucky enough to be. I approached. I literally approached the club and said, "Have you ever thought of hiring an FNC coach?" And they went, "Yes." <laughs> um, but they had various preconceptions about what SNC mm-hmm. coaching is. And it was it wasn't even it was understandable. It was everything they'd been told, everything they were aware that pre you know, pre PHV girls shouldn't lift weights that they should, you know. Mm-hmm. But to give them their total credit, I sat down with them for about an hour and explained the science, what I understood behind youth sport, you know, S and C. Um and I showed them, you know, papers, you know, the standard Lloyd, you know. You know, and I said we talked a lot about the neural development and the CNS development and I said, you know, to talk about the game bulk and size and I have to, so given their total credit, they took everything on board and let me and I actually did my last, last year of my master's, a dissertation project, I ended up using them and several other clubs um, and it was a project on weightlifting derivatives and to see whether weightlifting derivatives improve bulk performance and I think for three clubs or two clubs, um, to be that open and receptive for allowing me to go in, particularly the other club where I didn't do any work for, um, and just allow me to rock up twice a week and train their gymnasts <laughs> in weightlifting derivatives when they'd never even seen a bar before the other club. Um, they were all, all the girls were new to weightlifting, they're all novices. Um, I think I was very lucky that they allowed me to do that really and were open to those kind of techniques. Um, and I gave them a poster each when I, after I presented it at UKCA and St Mary, I put up the posters in their viewing gallery so the parents could see. And, yeah, well, um, it's them that you want to educate. Is there, It's those groups that the parents and the coaches that you really want to get on board. They're the ones that are going to buy in or not buy into SMC. So, no, that's a really good way of doing it. Definitely. And, you know, it, it parents' rights to not, you know, there was one lady chose not to allow her daughter because she wanted her daughter to, allow, to lift weights. And I can only say what I can say and that at the end of the day she's a parent who is trying to do the best for her child and I can't tell her that she's wrong I can only yeah show the way why we do what we do and um, people will always have and they, they might be just you know we don't know maybe she was injured through doing something inappropriately when she was a child and you know memories do last and I think all you and if you're a stranger going into their daughter's club part of me doesn't actually blame them for being um, I think I was lucky with the other club because that's where I worked. So although I didn't coach that group, I, they, the parents had seen me going in and had seen me working with the older girls. So, I, you know, it's not surprising probably that people were less cautious. But no, I was very lucky. I, I think I've been lucky with the gymnastics as a whole. Yeah. Um, so obviously at the moment with the COVID lockdown, no one really has a normal day. But typically before all the schools shut and the clubs shut, what did your working day look like? So on the days I'm working at school, which is usually three days a week, um, I tend to get up reasonably early, kind of six, six thirty-ish. Um, I do try not to wake up the children, but they're always awake anyway and want to chat. Um, I might take the dogs for a quick walk if I'm up early enough. <laughs> um, then I literally just get ready, go to school. Um, you can have, we're really lucky, probably, I don't know, same with you, but you know, you can have breakfast on site and sit and chat to the pupils while you're having breakfast. Um, you get there early enough. So my first S and C session, if you like, at school is uh, often seven forty-five. 
So that's a kind of pre-lessons session. Um, and on a Monday for me, that would be um, uh, speed, uh, no, it would be conditioning. So um, to kind of pro, uh, cycle it throughout the school terms, um, generally start with longer intervals and they get progressively shorter. Um, really good groups of people as a rule. The ones I have in the morning are what on the Monday are what we term the yellow jersey crew, which have kind of earned their right to be this kind of okay. responsibility to come with it. Um, it's not about performance, although they are often one. It's more about their ethics, their attitude, their motivation to train. Um, and I'm really lucky with that group because I don't have to do an awful lot with their motivation. Um, maybe just make sure they're there on time <laughs> and push them um, to hit the targets, whatever they are, um, for that session. Um, that's a 45-minute session. And the warm-up tends to be, I have to admit, my warm-up tends to be quite agility-based. So I'll do like a, in the winter when it's cold on the AstroTurf, it's outside, so I have a warm coat. I'll do a slow sort of progressive warm-up. It might be 10, 15 minutes um, compared to sort of five, 10 minutes in the summer. Um, but I'll do A skips, B skips, pogos, um, kind of just to reinforce. It's not an agility session, it's conditioning, but just to reinforce those kind of things, get them warm. Um, I often play a ball game because I love a ball game, frisbee <laughs> game, maybe get five passes, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, before we go into literally just hard and fast sprints, or I say sprints, you know, intervals. Um, and they're usually based off MAS that we've done earlier in the year. So I kind of mentally split them into three groups or two groups, and I'll tell them how many lengths of the hockey pitch I expect them to hit mm-hmm. in that time. So I'll say, right, you're aiming for four, five, you're aiming for four, um, just to kind of give them that. And I'll say, you have to you know, be consistent for everyone. If your target's four, hit four every time, or as close to four. Um, with music playing and then by 8 30 i'm back in the gym um which is a small gym but it gets progressively busier throughout the day um we have we try and roughly have similar age and ability people in at any one time so four 11 year olds aren't being put off by 18 year olds <laughs> guys but it doesn't always happen but it, it does as a rule um they'll be in small groups and eat there's usually three of us working at any one time um although there might only be two of us in the gym or one of us sometimes but We'll have our own athletes, so we'll be responsible for programming to keep an eye on. Um, so we'll have written their program, but they are responsible for filling it out themselves. So particularly the older ones, they know what they're doing. They have a program each half term. So by the first week, you need to be on them a bit more showing them things, but by the end of the half term, they're pretty much just getting on and doing it, probably some of you. But um, we try to make them as autonomous as possible. So, and I really like, that's one of the things that really warms me to the school is that we're not, sort of PT stood over them going you know yeah we're almost giving them a chance to explore and learn and certainly in their warm-ups we might incorporate sort of you know movement flow or something get them to mirror each yeah. other or you know get them to think of things you know a core you know core at the end you might say okay what do you what core do you want to do or give them a bit of opportunity to explore and learn for themselves rather than standing over them all the time telling them what weight what reps what sets um yeah, and then I'll be in the gym all day, really. Um, obviously, get a lunch break. Lucky enough to eat at school, food's quite good. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then half, usually get half an hour lunch break, which is just enough time to walk over, get the food, and come back to your So that's fine. Back in the gym, and then do that through till normally about six-ish. Um, and at the end of the day, there's usually a little what we call a mini squad, probably similar to you, which is a group session for the younger, kind of seven to ten-year-olds, okay. and that's more fun i like animal movements you know exploring all the fundamental movements and coordination balance um tennis ones as they get a bit older you might start leaning a bit more towards
called footwork um, but there's a definite emphasis on fun I love an obstacle course I'm a big fan yeah, of obstacle yeah, courses same. Um, <laughs> games, those, and uh, you know getting them to make an obstacle course sometimes mm-hmm. I write a list on the backboard so I'll say right build a course but it has to involve vertical jump one legged hop you know all these yeah. things under over and they can just build it for five minutes and fun, you know, the school ahead of SC, he's got so many ideas, he's got all these cards printed with games on which there's so many good things you can use, um, and that's just half an hour, but that's quite, I quite like that, and I think then they're the same age as my children, so I think I have quite a good understanding of yeah. what they like and don't like, and but I, you know, that can be quite fun. Um, yeah, I would say that uh, obstacle courses I've used with like six foot six. 18 year old rugby players and they never get bored like it's still something That's I will true. use <laughs> oh something you I'll use for any age grade I think um my older gym can't go wrong with a ninja warrior course that's our favorite okay ninja warrior course and instead of the wall, wall you just have a big foam pad thing you just get some two girls to hold up a big mat for the end and then you have to run up and jump up that at the end <laughs> um, jump in the foam pit that's that's always a winner ninja warrior <laughs> Yeah, no, I love all that. And, um, yeah, then I'll go home. Um, I'm quite lucky on those sort of what I'd call longer days. Um, when I'm maybe out of the house at 10, 11 hours, my husband will do dropping off from school and then I'll have a family member or friend that will pick up for me, um, feed them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm really lucky in that respect. But on, I'm really lucky as well because on some of the days I do a shorter day, so some of the days I might leave at three and I might go and pick up the children and then I will get to take them to gymnastics or cricket. Um, I've got quite good at Tupperware type meals for tea. So my poor daughter gets half a cup of pasta and tuna before gym and then half a cup after. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was finding it really hard because her sessions are like three hours long or three and a half hours long, sometimes four hours. Me working in the day, it's like, well, when do we eat? Because she can't eat at like half past eight when she gets home. It's too late. So I can't cook for her at like three o'clock. So, yeah. <laughs> so we kind of end up with a compromise where we just, and I think it works fine. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't mind. Um, but yeah, you do. You definitely have to be organised in that respect. I think when you have a family and going from job to job, or you definitely have to have. You can't just grab something for yourself. You have to think like, what is she going to eat? Tiffy after three hours of gym. What is she going to eat mm-hmm. there and then? She can't wait an hour for me to cook something. Whereas I can just be like, well, I'm hungry, but I'll wait. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely good at having a Tupperware tubs full of pasta. That's <laughs> 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 my default. <laughs> so do you um, yeah. do you have a like a coaching philosophy that you stick by? Yeah, I do actually. And I think it evolves. Um, you have to admit, this is probably going to sound a bit of a cliche, like I'm trying to advertise for Mary, but I think I always had one. But I think studying at St Mary's, they're very keen on that philosophy type coaching. And we were very much encouraged to think about philosophies. And although I don't think my philosophy has changed as a result of it I think I am more aware of checking that I am sticking to my principles and my philosophy because of it and I think that was quite an eye-opener for me um and yeah I'm really passionate about S&C being part of a multidisciplinary approach so I guess if you wanted philosophy it would be that I provide a part of a multidisciplinary approach um to youth mainly youth because that's why I work with athlete care and um, I think that we're as youth SNC coaches I think it's really important that we're optimising health and well-being of the athletes and of the child not just for the time they're with us but that goes into adulthood and for their entire life that we're setting them up with skills for life 
And I guess that sports coaches and us to a certain degree want performance. That's why we're there. But I think that should be a secondary effect of the other things, not a philosophy. And it sounds like a total cliche, and I do realize I probably sound like a cliche, but I genuinely believe that, and particularly with all that's going on with gymnastics at the moment, I think that's a really mm. important message to send out to children. Yeah. And not only successful because they win medals, they are successful because of who they are, and we're giving them morals and beliefs and confidence that can inspire them forever and that they remember forever, good or bad. And I yeah. think it's easy to forget that. You could just look at being number one in the world or being number one junior, or but if they're not happy and if they're not actually healthy, yeah. then miserably failed at our job and I think with more I don't know how much SNC will follow gymnastics but I think what continues to come out at the moment in gymnastics yeah. is that the culture has not been about and most of us would have known that for a long time mm-hmm. um, and there are really good coaches in gymnastics I think that's what people forget I read something on Twitter the other day and I don't want to say them because they are good SNC coaches and they were saying it's basically child abuse gymnastics is child abuse was the comment and don't get me wrong I think there are abusive behaviours in gymnastics mm-hmm. I don't think gymnastics has to be child <laughs> no I, I understand what you mean and I think it's because of the is it athlete A is yes. This, yes so that's just come out um, I think culture yeah has supported and allowed those practices probably more widespread and commonly in gymnastics not necessarily than other sports but the point is that because gymnastics is early specialisation they're children mm-hmm. so they're not in a position as a 21-year-old fencer, or a fencing is probably a bad example, uh, I don't know, a career you choose when you're older, but anyway, you yeah. get an older age, you wouldn't take those behaviours, you wouldn't allow the bullying and the emotional abuse to happen because you're 21 years old or 22 years old and you know that that's not acceptable. But I think it's almost when it's been groomed from six, seven or eight, they think that's normal and I think that's what the problem is. Yeah. Um, I guess I just kind of... I think those kind of strong philosophies, I think whether you're a gymnastics coach, an S&C coach, whatever sports coach you are, if you have those strong philosophies, then athletes' well-being will always come first if you stand by and practice what you preach. So I think my philosophy hasn't changed with all the things that's come out in gymnastics. And athlete A was obviously hideously shocking and I watched it and I cried. Um, and it's awful and the sexual abuse obviously is absolutely horrific, but what allowed the sexual abuse to happen is what's most horrific and that's the culture. Um, so I think we can only do what we can do and I stand strong in those philosophies and the gymnastics coaches I work with have similar philosophies otherwise I wouldn't be working with them so mm-hmm. I think they're yeah gone off topic a bit but yeah I no, think no, yeah I do have a philosophy um, and it doesn't change and it hasn't changed now but it's made me more aware that it's easy to say something but you have to act on your philosophy, you know, I could have any philosophy, but it's meaningless unless I actually behave in that way. Yeah, in that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think that's a good philosophy to have anyway. Looking at like we're not a very healthy country all the way through. We've got a high obesity level. We've got people that that may not enjoy sport at all. They may have had horrible experiences or just hated competitiveness as a kid and were forced to do it in PE. But if we were able to 
allows so SNC within it. So it's not necessarily SNC isn't competitive. It doesn't have to be at all. So if they enjoy that part, that's giving them lifelong lessons that they can use later on to hopefully improve their health later on without having to compete in something or play a sport that they're not that interested in. But no, I definitely, I definitely think that it's a good philosophy to have. No, and I think that's one of the things that this school I now work at has really encouraged is that it's not only the sports scholars that have access to SNC. So where I worked previously, um, I was on my own because one of the um, things that made me realise I wanted to be a part of the team. But the other thing is that I only got the opportunity to work with the scholars, mm. whereas at this school, it's other anyone, whatever their ability, whatever their sport, whether it's for just general health, whatever, can have access to SNC. So they don't have to be the best rugby player or the best. They want to get stronger for their sport and move better. It's a fee-paying school, so obviously there are. You yeah. could argue that. But they are given an opportunity to do it. It isn't elitist. You don't have to be the best tennis player, the best rugby player to get the opportunity to do SNC. You can still move better and get a lot out of it. And we do have pupils that are some of the most hard-working, lovely, most autonomous children that aren't probably ever going to, I don't know, going to be professional athletes but they don't even want to be they just want to move well yeah be better at what they do and enjoy it more um and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that i don't think like you said snc doesn't have to be elite so it doesn't have to yeah. be competitive um i think it's def- definitely the way that we should be going i think um or more more institutions and more schools maybe should be looking at it that way as well um so you said before that you were in the veterinary profession what was your driver behind leaving for leaving that and moving into the fitness industry? Like you said, there was a bit of a crossover with the sciences, but it's a massive leap. So what was your driver behind that? I think ultimately it was having children made me reevaluate what I was doing. And I think it does that whether you even want it or not. And I kind of, if the 10 year ago self, the kind of late, coming up for 30 year old self, hear me saying that they'd probably be sobbing in a corner because when I was pregnant with my son I was adamant that nothing was going to change I was career driven but I don't think you can help it I think you do reevaluate whether you change anything or not you definitely reevaluate what you're doing and why and I think it has to feel like it's worthwhile you will make sacrifices if you, go, if you choose to carry on working you will make family sacrifices by doing that and it has to feel worthwhile I think and I think I reached a point where I felt like it didn't feel like it was worth the sacrifice, maybe. Um, and I think certainly I felt like I wasn't winning necessarily at my job and I wasn't winning at being a parent. You know, I was failing at both and I kind of felt like something has to give. I can't kind of keep feeling like that. So um, at the time I was doing quite a bit of endurance running. Um, again, not amazingly well, but I was, enjo- well, I was enjoying it. And I was actually the best performance runner, I don't know, the best sort of age group I've ever been, I would ever probably be. Um, I kind of thought I'd like to know more about how I could be better or how I could improve um, and I didn't really know, know how else to do it other than to be a PT I didn't really know what SNC I don't think I probably even knew SNC existed at that point um, so yeah I just became I kind of thought well what can I do while I'm at home on maternity leave with my second child I thought what can I do that will give me a kind of career or something different to try and if I don't like it then I can you know go back so I became PT, um, qualifications easy, you know, I literally did it probably in six weeks on my laptop, not even that probably, <laughs> that's another debate, but anyway, um, and again, I was really lucky, I had some friends that were in the industry, so 
I had could rent some gyms on it, rent some gym space, pay hourly, so I didn't have to commit to big monthly gym fees, you know, rental. I literally did a pay as you go, had three clients, I only paid for three hours, you know, those kind of things. Um, really casual, so it was perfect. Um, and I quickly got quite a big client base, and they were nice, you know, most of them as a whole were nice enough people. Um, but yeah, you kind of, I think, you become, you do you know, you do the nutrition course, like I said, before, spin, kettlebell, um, and kind of think, I don't know if I'm really helping these people in the long term. I genuinely believe, I either wasn't a very good PT, <laughs> which is a possibility, or I kind of just felt like, I can kill them for an hour, but they're going to just keep paying me every week, twice a week, or three times a week for an hour. I'm not teaching them anything, I'm not changing them themselves inwardly to become, to move better, to... And some of them don't want that, and that's fine. But I wanted to do that. I didn't want to just be paid to turn up for two hours a week to make someone skinny. <laughs> um, there's nothing wrong with that. It just, I wanted to kind of teach people how to live better or move better or become move. Yeah, I think moving better was certainly a big one. And because I was quite into running, I kind of thought, well, I can help these runners. Um, and I loved it. I loved the runners and the triathletes are kind of, really nice adults to work with I think I love working with children now and I think having my own children makes me more determined to do that but if I didn't the, the endurance runners and triathletes would be the population of adults I work with because they're like another level of um, motivated and dry driven and you know then you have to rein them in <laughs> with the sort of running <laughs> um, but if you, you know and I was lucky you know I had this small group of them and they understood the importance of S&C and they kind of tried to make as much time as they could for it. So that was, it was about educating them in the best, particularly triathletes, they've got three disciplines to train for, so it was about how we could fit that into their day. Um, so yeah, does that kind of answer yeah, the question yeah, on why? Yeah, no, but, um, so quite a lot of those athletes that you worked with, you mentioned there, so like your endurance runners and your triathletes, you'd mentioned before that uh, they, some of them were pre and postnatal. So yeah. How did you find? One of, the, one of the qualifications I got along the way with PT was pre and, whatever it's called, pre and postnatal training, pre and postnatal athletes or not athletes, sorry, uh, women. And I really enjoyed that actually. That's one thing I would say I did learn something on the PT course. And again, I probably got you know after the PT course, and I did do a lot more reading around it. Um, and I think some of the PT advice for pre and postnatal guidance is dated and outdated, but well, it was then. Um, but yeah. I think, and again, they're a really good population to work with because they've got the desire that, you know, they've had a baby or they are pregnant. They still want to do things, but their midwife doesn't know what to do with them. The gym they go to might not know what to know what to do with them. The running club might not know what to do with them. Yeah. Some of them, even 10, 8 years ago, were being told to stop exercising, being told, you know, to only run if you could not get out of breath. And I understand those guidelines. If you've ever tried to run when you're pregnant... <laughs> Even at the slow, even walking, you're out of breath. <laughs> so there does have to be. I get, I get the guidance, but I think you know you have. To, if you've got these fit runners that can run a 23 minute, 22 minute 5k, they're running a 27, 28, 30 minute 5k. That's gonna be fine. You know, if they're taking it steady, if they're going easy, they're allowing themselves to slow down naturally, and that's kind of what we talked about. Um, you know, that was. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And I still would enjoy working with those kind of population, I think, for those kind of returning to sport type runners um, rather than the aesthetic nature of postnatal, prenatal. Um, yeah, they're a really good population. 
you've got all the considerations that come along with being pregnant and postnatal, but I don't think you have to be a mum to learn it because you could learn it. Um, of course you could learn it and you'd be very good at teaching it. But I do think the relatability factor, like having been through it, makes a big difference because they didn't mind telling me that they weed when they ran. Yeah, <laughs> and they didn't yeah. Telling me that their boobs leaked everywhere because <laughs> they knew that I'd been through that and they knew yeah. that I could probably tell them a story, which I did on the London Marathon. You know, that's, <laughs> you know... I, I understood about trying to get kids boob out of a sports bra to breastfeed <laughs> after you've been for a run <laughs> and how really impossible sports bras are for that and badly designed they are for that. So I think they probably related to me in a way that they may not have related to a younger guy, maybe even a younger woman that hadn't seen yeah. that. Um, yeah, I think it's those... It's like We're laughing about it, but I think it's definitely those kind of scenarios that you probably wouldn't want to open up to someone else that's not been through it because they're, I think, a bit more worried about maybe how other people view them. Or yeah, how, definitely. like, yeah. So I think that's, it'd be a massive bonus to be, to have had kids before and then work with people that are due or had kids just recently. And, you know, there's some midwives that still tell you not to run in pregnancy. And, you know, if someone's telling you that and you're kind of going, actually, the lady I see, she ran through her pregnancy and, you know, she was, you know, you kind of, you can kind of relate, you can kind of see, so if you see someone else doing it or someone says that's fine, I did that, as long as you're, you know, as long as you've got no complications, you know, I think people like to hear that it's possible and doable and, and obviously everyone's different and that's what I always say to them, you know, with my first, I couldn't run for about 12, no longer than that, I didn't run for about five months after, because it was quite a traumatic birth and it wasn't a position I was in, whereas my second one, my daughter, really nice recovery and I was running four weeks after now. For most people, four weeks would have been incredibly too soon. And I wouldn't suggest that people necessarily did that. But for whatever reason, the second time round, I could and I did. <laughs> very short, very gradual. So I think it's important that people realise those variations and kind of, you know, so many things change in your body and mentally as well as physically. And I think that's another really, I think unless you've been through it, you don't realise the emotional aspect of not only your body changing, but you've suddenly got this thing that's totally reliant on you and whether you like it or not you can't turn off your emotions for it (laughs) Um, so I think have someone that's been through that and knows how hard it is to do that mentally and physically is a can only be a positive really I think yeah absolutely um that was definitely a good learning curve so just to go switch back a little bit so as someone that's had a career in a completely unrelated profession how did I'm interested to know like how did the strength conditioning environment and fitness environment look like or come across to someone that was new to it but hadn't just come straight out of university out of high school how did that come across to you I think quickly with the PT industry I realized there's a lot of people that say a lot of things without really knowing what they're talking about and not saying (laughs) I did know what I was talking about because it's kind of the point I didn't either (laughs) um but what annoyed me was coming from quite an educating I worked in a teaching environment where I was teaching interns where I was being taught from mentors where we have journal clubs and rounds and questioned everything <laughs> um and I think the PT industry just didn't didn't suit my brain for that reason because a lot of people just told you facts and that was done which I think is probably part of the reason why I didn't stay in it for more than a few years and I'm not I think it's really good PTs do question everything and I think that's becoming more and more common I'm not saying you can't be like that, but it's harder, I think, to find similar people that question things. 
Um, and I think I found that a little bit with the SNC community. Initially, certainly, I was lucky enough to have some friend, uh, you know, the friend I said that was going on the masters, and he was quite open-minded and explorative, and kind of taught me to question what I thought. Um, I kind of thought, well, you know, I don't know much in this area, but I want to learn. And then you kind of get on the course, and you're on the course. And I think I realised that actually there's a lot of people like me, even the younger ones, they don't actually have that much experience with actual coaching either. <laughs> um, so we're not that similar. And I think SNC is quite similar to the veterinary world in that everyone went a bit evidence-based, practice crazy, and kind of there was a lot of this. It's in there's a, there's a paper on it. You must do this. Yeah. So I think in that sense, there's quite a lot of similarities. I think there's a lot of younger people that are suddenly given access to maybe research. Well, I say younger, less experienced, because I don't always know either. And you kind of almost don't know where to turn. There's almost information overload. And I think that's where having a previous career where I was kind of taught to evaluate research in journal clubs and things. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it because I'm not. And I do sometimes take things for face value. But I think it made, I was brought up in an environment to question things and learn from them rather than to just take it at face value and I think initially I was quite overwhelmed with this information overload but it's a bit like what's the word too many cooks spoil the broth type yeah. thing there's all this stuff and all these coaches but nobody's actually looking at the athlete and kind of trying to work with them <laughs> um and I think that's probably the biggest thing I saw is an certainly doing veterinary anesthesia one of the with anesthesia it's about a jigsaw puzzle and you're building up a picture with all these different things, all these physiological parameters and things, and you're looking at the screens and the monitors and you're, what's going on with the patient, and you're kind of going, well, I'm drawing from this, this, and this, to build up a picture of what ha- what's happening. But it's the patient that's at the heart of it, and I'm there for the patient, and actually that's no different to S&C. I'm there for the athlete, child, whoever it is, and I'm using all these different tools to, build, to become part of a jigsaw puzzle that makes the athlete a better athlete, or an athlete, or a better person, whatever. So it is totally different, but in another way, it's not. Like You're coming across the same kind of issues as well, yeah. Yeah, and it's a similar kind of jigsaw puzzle. It's a similar kind of evidence-based approach, but not but still looking at the athlete as a whole the same yeah. way as you look at the patient. Like the, you know, the numbers could be telling you something, but if the patient doesn't look like that, and it's the same with yeah. S&C, you know, you could do uh, you know, an assessment or a screen, but then if you're looking at the athlete in the day-to-day life and it's not, you know, and then something's wrong or, you know, something doesn't add up and, so yeah, I think outwardly it's very different, but it's also quite similar. Yeah, I think like your the idea that the information overload is I think a lot of people experience that with experience, like you start to pick up things like yeah, it's the athlete I'm looking at, not not the science. I, I'll I'll take on board the science and take on what I need, but I need to look at the athlete or patient in your case as well. Um, yeah, first. Yeah. But no, that makes sense. Um. So what opportunities or challenges have you come across so far? I think it's a tough question, particularly in relation to being female. I think general challenges of being a parent is harder. And although that's self-induced, I've chosen to do it. I think it limits your career choices because always have to think can I work work around family mm-hmm. and children however you know I have a very supportive husband but you still have to kind of think well he 
he's got his business, you know, I have to do, you know. So I think that's tough in a profession that isn't renowned for being the most flexible. Um, and I get that that's my choice. And I wouldn't necessarily expect it to be much different, except I think particularly now the school I'm at at the moment kind of proves that it can be really flexible and that provided you have the right team, and I don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I don't turn up for work on the days I'm meant to work, but <laughs> I don't have to be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week to do a decent job and to learn and to progress. You just, if there's a team of you that's supporting each other, um, then it can still work. But I think that's quite, I think I'm very lucky with that job and I think that's quite hard to come by. And I think you do have to turn down opportunities or things if they won't work for your family. But I come, you know, I don't mind that. That's some, well, you know, you can't have everything, and I think you just have to wait for the right job and accept that that might happen. Um, yeah, I think there's always challenges. I think you know, going to think, you know, going to UKSCA conference. I presented my research at conference last year, and I remember walking into the room, and it was pretty much all men, and I, you know, you kind of youngish guys, and you kind of think, who does care about this? <laughs> They're not. So they really care about you, gymnasts, and me. But then you realise actually they wouldn't be there if they didn't. And well, some of them might be. <laughs> but you know, I had. I think that was quite a big turning point for me because it made me realise: are people judging you for being older and female or whatever, or are you worried that you're going to be judged for it? And I don't know the answer, but I think you can. This is who I am, and the older I've got, the more I'm. I don't know. I, mean, I don't have all the answers. I can't necessarily do everything that maybe a younger ST coach would be able to be in terms of flexibility, but I can offer a lot and this is what I can bring. And actually, I've had nothing but positive feedback, whether that's because I've got better at the things, positions I seek out and kind of automatically don't look at ones that won't be suitable. But yeah, I mean, you, uh, speak, speaking of UKCA was amazing it was brilliant you know um i was really lucky and i met so many really good people as a result of that um but that kind of i think that probably that came off the back of the msc and you know i think that definitely built my confidence to prove that you don't have to necessarily fit a stereotype or be something and it's okay to maybe be you know even whether you're young male or female or older male or female everyone has insecurities and things they're worried about and the reality is they're not normally as bad <laughs> as you think anyway and if they are if people haven't employed me because of that then I can't change that um so yeah I think overt challenges not so much I think yeah maybe some of the older rugby guys when they first see you maybe think really um but in fairness particularly at school they've been nothing but respectful they almost teach treat me like their mother they're so polite to me so cautious like ridiculously polite so I'm so grateful for that and you know I've heard stories about younger female coaches being quite disrespected by the sort of guys in that sense um and it probably does happen but it's definitely not something I've ever I've genuinely I've been blown away by their politeness and courtesy um partly because I was new maybe at the start of the term partly because I'm older, I don't know. Maybe I am like their mother, so I. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think that's. I've certainly heard stories of people finding that quite challenging. That kind of treating them like their friends, maybe and mates, so that slightly disrespectful way that they might speak to 
somebody, whereas I don't even get that um, at all. And sometimes even if they swear, they'll apologise to me. Um, <laughs> I think it's a good so, environment to be in. <laughs> yeah, I think they probably treat me more as a parent figure, <laughs> um, which I don't know if that's good or not, but um, yeah. Okay, so then... And yeah, yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say actually about um, challenges. I am, um, again, as a spur of the moment, being tempted to my thing exactly. in life. I am um, last week, I decided to uh, put myself forward for one of the uh, associate board members for UKSCA. Ah, okay. Because I kind of looked at the board members and they're all male, and I kind of thought, I don't think you're magically different by being female, but I do think if you can, if there are younger SNC coaches that are female or maybe even not even younger maybe not even they're not even coaches yet maybe they're just considering it I think it's really important for them to see other female lessons coaches to kind of relate to like we were saying we didn't know it was a career you know I think I've heard other people saying on your podcast that they just didn't know it existed as a career yeah yeah um, and I think if they only see men on those kind of positions then it doesn't really stand out to them as achievable or a thing maybe um and that's wrong obviously and I wouldn't want to be put off just by being only male but I think there's ever a time to kind of go well see a female face and see that it's possible um and if it inspires other people to push themselves forward then that can only be a good thing I think yeah definitely I think it's Sophie said something similar in the first episode um where she said she really loves the fact that she's she's working in a boys school but it means that there's how many years or how many hundreds of boys have now had her as an SNC coach that it's actually the norm to see a female SNC coach. So yes, it's in a boys' environment, but just being able to see that that's an option for women as well. So one, for the boys to get used to it, so it's not a novelty if they ever have a female SNC, but um, also just to be seen, you know, they're yeah. just there. So um, no, I agree with that, absolutely. So, do you have any advice for anyone? So either women coming into SNC from a different profession like you've done or just anyone in general looking to break into the SNC profession? Um, I think certainly for my previous career, the biggest thing I probably learned and the advice I was given, which I then used to pass on to other people, was about not being afraid to fail. Now, and even fail publicly to a certain extent, or not, not publicly, but it's like if you trip and fall over and only you have seen, it's a bit like, <laughs> have I learned that much from it whereas if it's someone else I don't know but I think don't be afraid to fail and don't be afraid to learn from mistakes also don't be afraid to share your mistakes so other people learn from them and um certainly in my previous job when I was lecturing some of the things that people used to say they remembered the most was always my stupid little anecdotes about when I messed up <laughs> um and how I never did it again um, and they actually really remembered those things and really related to them and it made them change things and made them and I think that's a really important thing is that cliche of that you learn from your mistakes. It's not only that you learn from them, it's you actually remember them and probably learn more from them. You obviously learn by successes as well, but I think those sort of scary moments stick in your mind. So definitely not to be afraid to make mistakes. Um, and I, would th I think I'm probably lucky that I had mentors or people, senior, that allowed me to almost do that and gave me the space to do that. Um, yeah, and I think don't be afraid to start over again if you have had another career. Um, I think sometimes people will always see it as failing, like you kind of, you've reached sort of somewhere in that career 
And it's like giving it all up that to sort of start from the bottom again. You know, like someone said to me, Do you want to start from the bottom again? It's like, what is the bottom? Like it's a completely again, different, yeah. Environment. It is the bottom, but why should that matter to me? Like if I'm not it's only your pride, like only because it's not normal for someone in their mid thirties maybe walk in and be junior, maybe because most of the people are twenty something. That doesn't mean that I can't. It's only my pride. Like, does it matter? Like, you know, if you're putting yourself out there to learn, I don't think it should matter. Um, no, not at all. Especially if it's you're there for the right reasons. It's almost the opposite to that. You've left a career to join this industry, so it means you you're there for the right reasons. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I think yeah, I um, don't try and know everything. I think that was something perhaps I made the mistake of kind of felt like I needed to prove myself all the time and have, you know, not have answers because I've never been one of those people that feels the need to know it, to know the answer to everything. But I felt like I just needed to read everything, learn everything. And I think sometimes you just need to take a step back and do and read organically as it happens rather than try and absorb everything in one go. Um, and I, I don't think that's just me. I think quite a lot of people are always yeah. guilty of that. Um, yeah. Instead of waiting for something relevant and it comes along and reading about it and learning from a particular experience or from an athlete, trying to read a whole textbook in one go or, you know. Yeah. Um, So I I think you remember it then, because if you're reading a textbook and you've got no experience of it practically, you're probably not going to remember it. Whereas if you wait to put an athlete in front of you and then you think, oh, that's in that book, I'll go away tonight and read about that, then you're going to remember it and stick at it, I think. Um, Yeah, don't be afraid to play. I like playing with myself, with training myself. I mean, I, I... whether it's weightlifting, um, cycling at the moment as well, but I kind of try different strength cycles or different, even different movements. And particularly when I was trying the weightlifting derivatives with the gymnasts, I tried quite a lot of them out myself to see kind of how they felt. And um, I also tried things out with my daughter. I'm quite going to try and stretch his mobility movements with her. Um, yeah, I think don't be afraid to experiment on yourself. Um, and practice on yourself practice, mm-hmm. you know that helps to treat, but you know there's lots you can do with yourself um and the people around you i think don't be afraid to use yourself as a bit of a guinea pig if you want to know if it works you'll try it for six weeks and does it work yeah <laughs> um, definitely that's not to say that obviously someone is going to behave the same way you are but you know just i think if you are new to the profession you haven't had that many athletes to learn from so you're going to have to put yourself in a position to um Try it, and yeah, I think so many other people have spoken about mentors. I don't want to go over that too much, but I think I think most people have said it from what I've heard on your other episodes. But yeah, I think they should happen quite organically. I'm not sure you should be necessarily seeking out specific people and latching yourself onto them because <laughs> you think you want to learn from them. I think the ones I've had and still continue to have have happened. Yes, I might have approached schools or places coldly but then as a result of that something's happened and then I've learned and then you know kept in contact and I think you have different people that you rely on for different things I don't think it necessarily has to be a structured mentorship mm-hmm. of you know, Zoom calls, yeah. emails. Um, I think it can be much more natural and organic I think and I, th- I also think it can be quite two-way even the more senior people I think you can't just take 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 I think there has to be a level of giving back in some level um, as Small as it may be, um, and share. I I'm definitely keen on sort of sharing ideas and learning from everybody um, in a whole team, or and even maybe people that you don't necessarily 
think you need to learn from or a totally different area they're often the people that you can learn the most from um so yeah um definitely put yourself to learn from different areas different people yeah. like i was looking at a pilates teacher you know she's done some pilates sessions for us and um i was amazed at how hard <laughs> <laughs> um and you know you kind of oh i thought i was quite strong and then you're like glutes burning up <laughs> um and yeah just those sorts of things you can then incorporate in your warm-ups or you know covering re- reload weeks or you know things and you kind of think well part of me thinks well I'm not a Pilates teacher but that doesn't mean you can't apply those things yeah. and yeah um no absolutely yeah, I think that's something that we've I found like with um the school I was working with they had uh in pre-season they brought the gymnastics teacher which was a PE teacher but she was specialized in gymnastics and had our first 15, I think, and second 15 in a full gymnastic setup gym. And um, she just let them play. She taught them the basics, taught them very basic yeah. movements, but had these gigantic children running about trying to be gymnasts. And I think, actually, one, it was great fun, and that was ideal. And two, it it was coming from someone external. So it wasn't it wasn't rugby coach. It wasn't me from the S&C. It was gymnastics they got to play, they got to learn new movements and it was a lot about landings and rolling and how to, you know, just move your body in general. But I definitely think that's, I agree with that absolutely, that learning from different people on different, um, doesn't even have to be sport, it could be business, it could be anything like yeah. that that you can, yeah, pick up from. I agree with that completely. Um, Was there any resources that you've used that you think that other people should have a look at? See, there's loads. I guess it depends what area do you want to go into. Like SNC, I think I'm quite predictable. I think, you know, I like Casey Foreman's podcast. Um, I'm going to start charging him for this. <laughs> I know. Oh, I also like Science of Sport podcasts, actually. Yeah. You know, the Ross Hopper ones, I think, because they're not SNC per se, but they're sports. Um, yeah. And, you know, like he obviously does a lot about concussion protocols. And I think I've learned, yeah, I think that I find them really nice to listen to. Um, they're a bit lighter, obviously, but... Um, there's also a podcast called How to Fail, which is quite okay. <laughs> interesting. That kind of fits sometimes with my ethos about exploration and self-discovery. Um, I love Audible <laughs> because I don't get time to read a book, but I get a lot of time when I'm working with the commute, driving to and from work, driving the children to places where I'm on my own in the car and I can have audiobooks on. So I love um, things like Range, David Epstein's Range. That's a really, really good book. Okay. I definitely recommend that. Um, obviously, he's got the other one as well. Sports Team is also good. All of those endurance ones. There's a one called Endure Grit. Angela Duckworth Grit is another really good one. Um, they're all sort of similar themes about grit, determination, perseverance, that kind of thing. But I really like those ones. Um, I'll tell you what I did love, which isn't S&C or sport-related, was Michelle Obama Becoming. Yeah. It sounds really silly. I had no idea what incredible woman she is. I wrongly assumed she was Barack Obama's prime. I had, well, yeah. she was, obviously. I hadn't thought he is. I had no idea of the amazing things she's done and also the values that she instills, or she had instilled in her and that she instilled in her children. So, I guess so closely aligned to my philosophies and how I bring up my children that I would. I thought it was an incredible book and she's an incredible woman and I had no idea how much she'd done with her life until I read it. So, yeah, I think a female perspective. Um, Oh, so tell you what, for, like, relaxation, mental health, Fern Cotton does the, what's it 
called um, Happy Place. Yes, I think so, yeah. Um, that's quite good if you're a bit tired and grumpy, but you want to train or like just do a light, like switch off. She has really good guests on. Um, so yeah, I'm quite eclectic, I suppose, with those kind of, depending on my mood, I've got so many on Spotify and then I'll just or audible between them. Um, yeah, I any sport in audible could be in work as well, but um, sometimes, it's just really bad to say I'm an FMC podcast. Sometimes if I'm training, I don't want to listen to an FMC podcast. Yeah. Or FMC book. I just want to get sucked into someone's autobiography or someone's story or... Um, so yeah, so, uh, like Ross uh, Edgley's swim across around the deep great brain. I've just listened to his audio book on that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, that's good. That's good because I think um, I'll include all of these at the end in the bio so people can look them up and have a look at them themselves. Um, so, if there's anyone listening that wants to find out a little bit more about you or get in touch, what can they what can they use? Uh, well, you can email me. Um, I think I've got a strength in gymnastics email. I can send it to you, but it's literally just Emma at strengthingymnastics.com. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm on social media. I've got a personal account, Instagram. It's just Emma Arch 80, um, originally. Uh, and I'm on there uh, for strength and gymnastics. And I have to admit, the strength and gymnastics one isn't actually aimed at SNC coaches. It's aimed at gymnastics coaches. So it's kind of, I'll have a theme and I'll post videos on mobility. or. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm definitely happy to connect on that. Same on Twitter. I think I'm PT Emirates on Twitter, and that's probably I use that probably for SNC discussions the most. Um, but yeah, any yeah, I'd love to hear. I you know like debate, like comments, feedback, anything. Um, yeah, get in contact. If you've got Perfect. So well, I'll add this again in the bio so people can get in touch and have a look at it there. Um, the other thing I did want to say with the resources you said about recommended resources, oh, yeah. I would encourage anyone. I think there is somewhere else that does distance learning now as well, but. The MSc distance learning at St Mary's was one of the best things I did, definitely. I think with student loans and things, I think particularly if you're older like me, I'd say don't be afraid of looking into it and doing it. And the opportunities to learn at the on-site when you go there once a term or, you know, once a year, at the end of the year for the week or two, um, I learned so much from just sitting chatting. Um, so like Dan John, Dan Baker, Dan Cleder, Steve Magnus, just in the pub, like you know you just look i think that to me was so invaluable um and you know dan clever's got so much to give and john goodwin was there at the time when i started as well and they just have all these resources to draw from and physiologists you know like Stephen Patterson and all of them there now are so enthusiastic that i would definitely recommend looking into it if you don't have one um and are considering it and don't necessarily be Put off that it's distance learning so I think you can still get quite a lot out of it and it suits a lot of people you can do it over in a few years anyway I just wanted to say that yeah no no, it, no it's fine um, you definitely hear a lot of positive things about that course anyway um but yes thank you very much for coming on I um, hope we haven't taken up too much of your time not at all thank you for having me I really appreciate it thanks right bye bye Thanks for listening to episode 6 of the Cleans and Queens podcast with Emma Archer. 
A lot of our conversation was around being a mum and balancing work with family and it's something I feel that we should be talking about a little bit more often, especially as we're trying to encourage more and more women to take up strength conditioning coaching as a profession. Emma made it very clear that yes, your options may be limited to an extent, but in the right environment and surrounded by a supportive team, it is completely achievable to balance strength conditioning coaching and bringing up a family. If you have any questions or feedback for Emma or myself, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us on any of our social medias listed in the bio. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to hearing any feedback from you.